You're listening to Deep Cuts with Antoine Reed, episode 49, Mickey Pegg, All Saints Cigars. How are you? Good. How are you? Doing great, thanks. So, so what's it like so, to be back back on the road? I love it. Yeah, I always <laughs> did. You know, I always traveled since I got out of college. So, and it's just good catching up with old friends and meeting some new friends. And you know, like you, when we got to meet uh, out in Vegas. So mm -hmm. it's uh, good looking T-shirt, by the way. I like that. I know. I, I wore it just for this occasion for people who don't see it. <laughs> I, I love it. <laughs> So I was did, like, you, did, you, did you did you figure out the Latin yet? No, what? Not yet. What, what does it mean? It means uh, the Lord hates a coward. Actually, it means Lord hates a coward. But we say the Lord hates a coward. Uh, it was just you know everybody was saying this is the worst time to get in the industry, and so we just had a little fun with it. To give you something to Google. So yeah. But uh, well, like I said, well, thank you for joining me today. I, uh, you know, I've been all about trying to introduce people to new brands and new people in the industry and uh, just, you know, have a little bit of fun in these COVID times and a little educational and people can't all make it out to different shops and events. So right, this yeah. gives them a little bit of opportunity to kind of get to know new brands, new people, and hopefully when they can get out, then if they, when they see your cigars in the humidor, they'll want to try it out. Yeah, thanks. I, you know, being on this loop right now, I'm in day 10, I think. Yeah, day 10 and uh, well, 14 day trip home for a couple of days. Uh, my youngest daughter's birthday and then vote. And then I'm back up to New England home for a couple of days. So it, it's fun and it's exciting, but it's also interesting to see how everybody it's, it's a matrix of how everybody's handling COVID, you know, so uh, I know I'm being good and a lot of the, most all the retailers are being good, but however they interpret it i've seen everything from no smoking in a shop to a, with a windshield and mask on to like hey keep your distance and you know respect you know you know what whether it's for optics or for health reasons it, it, i've seen that so it's been pretty interesting to see that the, the interpretations of that um you know across the eastern seaboard yeah and i already have one person saying all saint cigars are fantastic so you obviously have like a, a a nice following out there. <laughs> yeah, it's either my mother or or the guys from Wooden Indian in Havertown. I live 0.7 miles from. <laughs> so. uh, but thank you. Yeah. Well, what I like to do with um, deep cuts is I like to introduce, like I said, people to different the people behind the brands. So we talk a right. little bit about you, and then we get to talking about the product, and then okay. we there's a lot of stuff that comes up in between there. Um, nothing too scandalous nothing too hardcore uh it's not that type of show so good, um, good it's all fun all fun all like a nice little hour and like i said to kind of end the day and for those people who are watching them playback you know a nice way to kind of fill an hour's time of just getting to know like i said a different brand that maybe you haven't tried yet that's great thank you i appreciate the time so i always like to start at the beginning of people's stories so like what how did you get involved in the tobacco industry what was that like um the industry well it, it started uh when i was in college um 
I, I liked an occasional cigar. I was working part-time on Capitol Hill for a senator. And uh, that was uh, the spring of my junior year, 1989, I believe. And back then, you didn't have to pay interns. And, you know, that was that time it was you, you really need to get an internship under your belt for your resume. Mm -hmm. And uh, especially like a lot of people would move away from Washington, D.C. I went to college at uh, the Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C. Uh, you, you need to have an internship when you go out you know, to the job market. Um, and also you could be the assistant to the assistant photocopier in Washington, D.C. on Capitol Hill. And it looks amazing on your resume when you went back to wherever you were going. And that, if you did a good job, the senator's uh, chief would send you down to, would put you in a cab. They had cabs back then. Um, and put you in a cab, send you down to Georgetown Tobacco with a, with a fistful of cash, go pick up cigars, and you take a cab back. And then, you know, you got to keep the change. So it was like a little bit of a tip. And mm -hmm. if somebody didn't show up for the cigar, you got to sit in the senator's room and smoke a cigar with those guys. You got that cigar and he'd be on the phone from you know the Secretary of State to the President of the United States. I think uh, we were getting, NAFTA was coming up soon at that time. So it was just like, oh my God, I'm listening to the President of the United States on a phone a couple clicks away and you know smoking a cigar. And I'm like, this is pretty cool. So after time, uh, David Berkebile, who um, just turned 81, happy birthday, David. And his 56 year of business uh, finally uh, offered me a job. It was through actually a manager, Jay Bedekel. And from there, uh, I had a part time job. And that's how I originally got into it and started doing events. Uh, events were popping up, and the manufacturers and the brand owners at that time didn't know how to really do it. And um, I got the chance to, to do those events. And from there, I got exposure and uh, became a sales rep for Davidoff. So, um, and I was, and I was helping them go from their broker sales force to a direct sales force. And then from there, I had an opportunity to, um, come into the CAO, uh, organization, Tim Osner, just from traveling around with them, uh, I had a chance to come in and take over as national sales manager and finally end up as VP of sales. So, uh, that's, that's, that's the brief overview of how I got into it. So uh, always a geek. Loved it. So when Davidoff said to me, you want to be a sales rep from Maryland to South Carolina? I didn't have Maryland at the time. So it was DC to South Carolina. I'm like, so you're going to pay me to smoke cigars and go visit cigar shops. Is that <laughs> correct? And I get an expense report. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. So I jumped all over it. Um, and I fell in love with my wife or actually my bride uh, of 21 years. And I knew I wanted a stable job because the market on Capitol Hill is for the most part, uh, you get a job for nine months and you look for one for three and you have all these part-time jobs and, you know, Georgetown tobacco was one of them. And so I wanted to propose to her. So I got the job and I proposed to her on December 19th of 1997 and said, do you mind that I travel? She kind of knew I traveled a little bit, helping out with some of the political things that were going on over year I lent out. I was with the, National Soft Drink Association, which was now called the uh, American Beverage Association. And they sent me all over the place. So it was, it was so she was used to it before then. So, so you're talking about working. Me, how, how, how do you make, what's that? I was like, you're talking about working on Capitol Hill, which is, you know, the, the villain in the cigar industry right now with everything that's going on. Right. 
but you probably have a completely different perspective of what's, you know, what's it really like, you know, working in that side and the politics that are really at play. Oh, we spoke to the senator's office. Right. I mean, I have, I have a huge ashtray uh, of the House of Representatives, the cigar ashtrays, that after a fundraiser, after, not a fundraiser, some event after a couple, I don't know, bourbons or something, it kind of, it kind of ended up in my apartment. And I had one from the Senate, but again, I had a couple bourbons and gave that away to somebody. And I wish I had that one back. So I mean, I even have an ashtray from the U.S. House of Representatives, which is, uh, which is pretty funny. And, um, you know, you, you could smoke in almost any of the offices at that time. And there was uh, great balconies you could go out. It was just amazing. It was just to see that in your young and mid-20s was, was just absolutely incredible. You know, now it's, it's completely different. I'm about to ask, do you think that cigar culture on Capitol Hill still exists? Or has it completely just kind of gone? Or is it yeah. kind of like more clandestine? <laughs> It's more clandestine, I would say. You know, I hear about people meeting with people, and, you know, some of them are advocates. Some of them don't care to be known as advocates. Um, and, so, and uh, yeah, but I don't, it's not, you can't smoke in that building at all. Matter of fact, right. I had one job working in the doorkeeper's office of the Senate, and my job was to see people to go in and see the Senate. And it was great, too, because you got paid no matter if the Senate was in or not. If the Senate was in, you had to go to work. If they weren't, you didn't have to. Um, the guy that hosted that, that was in charge of us page-like people, um, staff assistants, was smoking a cigar right there, right out the Senate chambers, where you would seat the constituents to come in and watch legislation on the floor. I mean, he had a cigar in his mouth. It was always like this eight-inch cigar or whatever. So... Yeah, I mean, it's a completely different culture today. That's always interesting to hear. Like I said, because you, you always, nowadays, you wouldn't think of anything like that happening, which, like you said, it kind of doesn't. But you still have some advocates, like you said, for the industry. And we know that from the different bills that they try to right. um, pass around to the exempt cigars. So you know that it exists to some degree, <laughs> the, the support for for the industry, just not outwardly <laughs> and, and, and both sides of the aisle were smoking in the capitol building so that's that last job i talk about and i didn't even think about it until you brought it up uh was in the capitol building so it was right outside the senate chambers where they went in to you know legislate and, and and vote so yeah so getting back to your history with the tobacco industry so you're traveling around with davidoff what did you kind of learn about the industry during that time because i'm sure like you went from being just you know, like a consumer interested and all of a sudden you're right there in the middle, the thick of it all. Yeah. So, you know, so we talk about my Davidoff days. Yeah. Yeah. So my Davidoff days, one of the things I learned, I thought when I went out into the field that every shop was going to be a, a Georgetown tobacco or an old Virginia tobacco company. It's called tobacco barns back then. And it wasn't. And but every shop had its own personality. I, I tend to say if, if you've been to one retail shop, you've only been to one retail shop. There are even people that have multiple shops. The personality uh, of the people that work there, the personality of the consumer, the personality of what they buy, size, the Vitola shape, you know, whatever blends is completely different. So um, 
and it was able because a lot of people wanted the white label at that time and i'm sure they still do today and it, and it was a great i loved it there went 1000 we had a really fun team and um you know so we had other things like abo uh griffins and stuff like that at that time and that's when abo was really starting to start to move over to the limited edition and really kind of i think popularized that in the industry it, it had always been around but i think that that really they found a market with that when and uh Traveling with Abba was absolutely, you got nothing done that day. So whatever <laughs> event was that night, we, you, you ate breakfast for two hours, you ate lunch for two hours, and you had coffee in between. And uh, I mean, he lit up a cigar right in the middle of the South Park. We were doing an event with Craig Cass down in Charlotte, and uh, he just lit up a cigar right in the middle of the South Park, South Park Mall. And, and uh, it was, I'm like, what do you do? It's Abba. So, and, <laughs> And, you know, nobody said anything or did anything, so it was quite funny. So I'm like, ah, well, we got to go do a couple things. Mickey, calm down, Mickey, calm down. So it was always fun. Yeah. So I've, he always, was, I've always heard fun stories about him. And just, you know, oh. you look at him, he's like, you know, this nice older man when I came into the industry. And then you hear all these wild stories about him, though, like this carefree attitude, the, you know, very lively, very young, youthful spirit throughout his whole life. Well, it was funny because he would go, the two times I traveled with him, he would go shopping. He didn't have a place in Tampa at that time. So primarily his, his residence was in Puerto Rico at that time. And it was, I ended up carrying all his bags around. I was more of a, a valet for a day. And, and, you know, his breakfast and lunch and cigar buddy for the day. And it was uh, interesting. I got to see him out in the fields too. And so it was, uh, it was a fun guy to learn from. And he was always talking about, uh, Hanky and he was talking about, you know, what he did in his, in his interpretation. I think he was one of the real true consumer friendly brand owners, you know, um, and he was involved with some of the manufacturing, he had his own little plot of land. I think it was called domain in Dominican Republic at the time, but it was just, uh, it was it was refreshing and probably one of the first brand owners that I ever met that talked about taking all everything he knew that happens out in the field and all these different places and bringing to the consumer. And then when you had, the, you know, the wonderful things that Davidoff did with their packaging and, you know, the, almost like an unlimited budget. So, you know, which I don't have. But it's, uh, yeah, it's it, it was fun to watch. So what came after your Davidoff years? So after Davidoff, I did a small stint with Philippe Gregorio, Philip Wynn, and um, and that was it was about it was about a year arrangement, and it was just it was uh, it was just time for both of us to go different ways. We had a different philosophy of what we thought to do to take it to market, and it was friendly, and he was a sweetheart and lovely to work with. And then that's when I got the opportunity with Tim Osgener uh, approached me about joining the CAO team, and you know within time to take over as national sales manager. So, um, yeah, and then I went to CAO. We, we, we went from uh, a, a direct to, I mean, a, a broker to a direct sales force as well. So that was, uh, that was some a little weird time. Hey, you got the job now. Let's go direct. So, <laughs> uh, so you know, we, we managed through that. And, you know, it was really some of the best years. I mean, the team that we had over there was, was amazing. So I was a bow tie wearing guy sitting right next to John Huber on one side and Mike Condor on the other. 
and uh, I, you know, just so much talent, you know, and you know Tim out there beating the drum with, with the concepts and and, and the blends and those people, and obviously Jono at the top, like you know, like a conductor leading an orchestra, and we just had so much fun, so much fun. It was it was an absolute blast. So you seem to have worked or interacted with some really big figures in the industry over the years. Yeah, I've been very fortunate. You know, I happenstance into Georgetown Tobacco, and then from there. It, it just went from there to Davidoff. And then I got to learn the factories from a very high level from, you know, obviously Hanky Kellner mm -hmm. uh, and uh, one of the greats, Raymond Schur, who was uh, the brand ambassador globally for, um, you know, for Davidoff at the time to fill up his understanding uh, of tobaccos. And he was more of a hands-on on the Finca uh, factory type guy. And then obviously at uh, CAO with branding, marketing, blending uh and then choreographing that with uh you know perdomo um you know there was uh placentia and obviously um you know working with uh, a little bit of the tron family but also like buying and, and selling and, and then obviously uh you know the placentias if i have already said that that was that was really you know i was down there when they were filming a video called seed the soul which is, uh, I'm sure it's still owned by General or Scandinavian Tobacco. And, you know, watching Nestor show us everything from the seed to the planting, the nursery of what it takes to the cheesecloths and uh, transporting them to the fincas, it was just an amazing experience. And then sitting with the leaves and going through the blending process. And then also, you know, the Toronios were part of our family at the time doing cigars for us as well. So... It was, uh, you know, it was like retail in the sense that you got to learn from all the best people that are out there. So it was, and I always say, if you've been to one Finca or one factory, like the retailers, you've only been to one Finca or one factory. Everybody has a different approach and style they do. There might be some similarities in, in the architecture of how they put a cigar together in Nicaragua for the most part, but all the different ways and different things that you can do is different philosophies and what they're looking for. And I think consumers are so well educated these days that they have a, uh, they've created more demands. And it, you take something that's already so artistic in so many different levels, uh, they've demanded, the consumers demanded from the manufacturers and the, and the brand owners too, um, to make sure they bring something to market that's going to sell and, and people are going to enjoy. So, yeah, not. You know, I've just had a conversation earlier this morning with another brand owner about that same subject, about how the consumers for cigars are very educated. They know their stuff and they want to know more. Um, it's not like the old days where you could just put out a product and they would just buy it just because. Um, and the importance of engaging the consumers now and feeding them even more education. You know, I think from all the consumables that are out there, like foodies, wine guys, whiskey guys, bourbon guys, and now you have these micro niches in, in every kind of umbrella that's out there. I really seriously think that the cigar smoker, because some of them drink, some of them don't, um, that, and, and you know, either is fine, is that they are the most educated community out of all those consumables that I, I probably left some, some kind of group out, but uh, I, I think it's the most educated 
group that's out there of all those people. So, and that's why you like, if you can learn cigars or in, enjoy cigars and be involved as a consumer, you can learn all the other stuff a little bit. Yeah. You've already, you've already done it. So. So talking about your, your company now, all saints. So obviously most cigar smokers, I think at some point, think what would it be like if I own my own brand <laughs> and you know only a, a couple of those people you know actually go you know the extra step of making that happen so what was this process like for you like from coming up with this idea like maybe I can be my own brand owner and then what was it like actually making it happen um not as fast and furious as everybody thinks so you know <laughs> There's a lot of things you can do. Check us on the public record. So we're coming up on our one-year anniversary, um, uh, November 1st, All Saints Day. It's actually, if you look at our paperwork, it's sometime in late October. And I, I was talking about it. And my wife's like, you big dummy. You know, why don't you just say All Saints Day, November 1st? So that's, you know, that's our, that's our <laughs> anniversary. Um, but, you know, the project started about three years ago. You know, what happened was when I left CAO, um, what happened was Scandinavian Tobacco had purchased us and they had an idea of what they were going to do. And they kind of made their decision. Uh, and it was about a year later, they were going to roll it into general. And that's when it was time for me to leave. Um, you know, I, 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 there was no place for me to go after what I had done at that point. So I took the, we were living in Nashville and we never knew if we were going to return at all. I mean, matter of fact, my, my, uh, youngest, uh, Molly, who's going to be, I think, 14 on uh, November 2nd, all, all, uh, all Souls Day, who's six foot. She's a giant. Um, all my girls are fun and, you know, fun to hang out with. But um, what, 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 what happened was I didn't smoke a cigar for a year when I moved back to the Philadelphia area. It was, you know, as they say, the black dog, you know, the black dog, you know, it was chasing me and I was running from it. And I, I, you know, I didn't even smoke a cigar for about a year. It was, it was a little bit heartbreaking. Uh, and people wanted to invest right away. And I, I couldn't even think of that because I just came off such a great run, you know, going from a, a junior in college part-time to, I think, one of the youngest leaders in the industry, at, you know, for a brand at that time, outside Birthright. Uh, and there had been other guys that were younger, too, that started their own companies and they're doing quite well today. You know, you know, like Jonathan Drew, you know, all, you know, all these, you know, well, we know the progression of that. But um, I was just so happy and giddy to be a part of these programs. Like, what a way to come up through the industry. Uh, so I didn't think about it. And people approached me. I'm like, I have no ideas. I have nothing. And then I, st I started selling mutual funds inside of retirement plans for Lincoln Financial. And started thinking about the things that I was doing. And I kept comparing mutual funds to a cigar. There's a wrapper, there's a binder, there's a filler. The filler's all the other stocks that you put in there. The binder's that apple. And, you know, the wrapper the is whatever style they're going to do. And so about three years ago, finally, with my partner, Frank Leo, uh, well, who I was originally introduced to by years ago by a buddy of mine, Martin Corboy, who's one of our partners as well, um, started talking, like, let's do this. And when Frank, he went to the Air Force Academy. And he, after he got done with the academy, I guess did his training and he got deployed to Afghanistan. And we got, at some point, next time we run into Frank, we got, we got to make sure we polish the story up. So his job was to do procurement and those things. So I'd send him cigars 
and he would take those cigars and horse trade them with the Australians for beer. They had a two beer ration over there. And he found a way to maybe have more than two beers and have a cigar sitting on pallets somewhere in some refrigerated area of Afghanistan. I don't even know if it was refrigerated on these pallets. I know pallets were involved. Uh, and, you know, the leadership of the Air Force, you know, definitely uh, he endeared himself to them. Um, and, you know, that's where that, that's where we, we had come together. We said, Let, let's do this. So so we did it and um, uh, start working. That We worked on a blend. It, it start, stop, start, stop. And then finally, we put a lot of things together and agreements together. We didn't have all our paperwork finalized, but it was we, we have to get going so, because we were trying to do this in 18. But the political climate in Nicaragua really wasn't receptive to that. All right. So finally, we got the, some of the prototypes and things that we were working on. We got to um, down in February, and that's when we came up with that first blend. So the dedication, which affectionately everybody calls dedication. Why'd you name it Spanish? It's so uh, you know, that's a whole another story in itself. So it, it's not easy. I mean, going that's, around, you know, that's this cigar. Yes, thank you. Just to show uh, people. And uh, yeah, and all the shapes are named after people in my life. So. Um, which one did I? Which one did you get there, the Commandant or the Berkey? Uh, Berkey, the Berkey, yeah. So it's funny. So Berkey is our robusto, and it's uh, so there's four vitolas. One of them's round, the six by sixty. So that's where we are. So that's if that's enough of the story. It's not as easy putting them and putting the money together. You know, at at fifty starting this process, and at fifty two doubling down with the money that I kind of made over the last couple of years. It's uh. Some people know about a poker run I had years ago out in Vegas. It's, it's like doubling down with all your chips in front of you with a 12, with, you have a 12 and you're just, you know, you're hoping that that, uh, that dealer has something ugly on, you know, <laughs> face down. So, uh, yeah. And, you know, we've been navigating COVID fine. It's, uh, we're not as, our growth structure of what we wanted to do is not as fast as we want it to be, but also we know we weren't going to break any land speed records. We wanted to, be a part, you know, with the right people and associate and, and, them. And who makes your cigar? So, yeah, so our cigars are made in the Tabacusa factory in Esteli, uh, which Rocky owns a piece of. It's his boutique factory. And uh -huh. I work with uh, Emilcar down there, or Amika, as I, we affectionately call him. And I work with Herbert, who's Hamlet's nephew. So our blends don't touch, and we still stay within the, because we, we, we were a little concerned about the predicate blend at that time you know, a pretty right. good synopsis. Um, so that's where they're made. And wow. yeah, so that one that you have, Berkey is named after, again, I talked about David Berkebile and his, his nickname was affectionately Berkey. So, and then the Toro is we call Commandant. Now we're not gonna get so fresh with all these names with all the lines that are coming out. And nothing's, we have nothing more coming out this year. We've got enough to get this out and then, you know, get our projects finished up. We have a lot of stuff aging right now. Uh, it's called Commandant. I went to Valley Forge Military Academy uh, after a, a stint at a couple of different high schools, and that Commandant helped me get straight and narrow and, you know, go off to college and play football and lacrosse and then uh, off to grad school. But more importantly, it was, you know, to um, Frank Leo's time, you know, you know at, a, at a young age, saying, hey, listen, I'm going to go to the Air Force Academy, and I'm going to make a commitment back to the United States. So, and then... If anybody knows me, I, I tend to say huge a lot. So uh, the six by 60 round is huge. Uh, so, 
and that really came from a guy named Scott Gillis. He owned a company called Great, Great Scott Moving Company in Washington, D.C. And he always, if you're willing to get up early in the morning, he had a job for you, no matter what time of day. So if you had multiple jobs, whatever, and you needed to pay rent, it was the end of the month. Uh, and, you know, as a bartender and doorman, praying to the tipping gods, if that didn't work out, you could always go move furniture. And he, he, he had a Boston accent. He called everybody huge. Huge, huge. So I started saying it, and now a couple, Condor calls me Hugo because whenever he types huge to me in a, in a text, it comes out Hugo. It autocorrects to Hugo. So there's <laughs> different um, that. And then obviously the 7 by 48 um, the Churchill we call coach. And that was no to, you know, my old football coach. If he was smoking a cigar in the locker room or on the bus, uh, we know we did a good job. There was two times we lost the game, and he was um, – I used to think it was one, and then I met with him, and I met with his son, who was also my coach, and recruited me to Catholic University. Correct me, it was there was two times that we lost, and he actually smoked a cigar around us. Um, we know we did good. I mean, first time it happened, we're on a bus coming back from Dayton. Dayton went on to win the national championship, and we're like, "Why is Coach smoking a cigar on the bus?" And uh, he turned around and said, "Great job. There's nothing more you guys could do today, and I'm proud of you." So it was, uh, it was, it was, it was an interesting thing. And it's also a note to all the, you know, all the mentors in our life, you know, that, and so many of those people like John O, David Berkebile, and all, and um, Condor, Huber, like whether they're peers or leaders as a thank you to that. So that's, um, you know, that, that's the warm and fuzzy of the dedication, uh, AKA dedication line, why we came up with those names. And you may have mentioned this, but how did you, I'm sure one of the fun parts of, coming up with your own brand is what what to name it you know what to name yeah. your company what to name your brand and i'm sure i always ask the question and everybody says oh we had a whole naming committee we had like all these different names you know we sat around so what was that process like for you like when you finally uh, said i'm going to start my own brand this is what i'm going to name it well the, the harder process was making sure it passed trademark uh right <laughs> you know what happened was so it was the three of us so uh I was sitting there talking. We knew that we actually had a, the line or the, what we wanted, the theme of what we wanted the first line of cigars to be upon my story of, of dedication. Uh, and, that, and that's what we, that was our prototype of the first line. No matter what it was, we were going to wrap that story into that cigar. And I, as I'm, I was talking about Coach Oak, Fred O'Connor, my coach, David Berkebile, all these people, and I kept referring to them as saints. This person was a saint. That person was a saint. And Martin looked at me and he goes, well, Mickey, you're, you're Michael, so St. Michael. Frank, you're Frank St. Francis. And uh, he goes, All Saints. And we all kind of like, oh, wow, we like the name of it. And we looked at Martin and we're like, there's no St. Martin. He goes, yeah, there is. There's islands named after him. <laughs> so we all started laughing and that's where, and that's where that stuck. So, um, Wow. What does it feel like to – now you've gone from working for companies to now you are the company. You are the company. Like you're, 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 yeah. you know, it, it's really steering this. I'm sure that's a big shift in mindset and pressure. Yeah. So every company I've ever worked for, everything I've ever done, there's been a, a, an awesome support team. And I, you know, I, I'm not talking about lateral supporting up, you know, like horizontal holding you up on your side support. Even when I was a sales rep, there was somebody to call in to get the stuff shipped, put the orders in, do, do the billing and, and all those things. 
Uh, and then when I was at selling mutual funds, there was somebody for everything. Somebody did the mailing. Somebody did this. Somebody did the artwork. They contacted. They got all the stuff, stuff to ship. Now I'm, you know, I'm everything. CEO, CSO, Frank CFO. He's the money man. So he's the CEO, the CFO. So, you know, it's, uh, uh, yeah. So it's like juggling today, getting through and then, you know, calling Alec today. Like, hey, can I hold up in your lounge and get the Wi-Fi in between events? And that's been more than a couple of minutes in your store. Yeah. And then um, making sure that we're getting the building out, uh, going down to the factories. Yeah, it, it's, it, it is. But I love being busy. You know, I, I'm always so that's and the excitement of putting this much time and effort and it's it's my brand it's our brand uh me frank and, and martin's is uh it's exciting and for me to be out there and engaging with my old friends and meeting new friends um is absolutely this is what i love it's what i've always loved i love people uh, and I, I love telling the story i love listening to a story as well because i might make it mine so uh, <laughs> you know um yeah so it, it, it's just wonderful to be back out there had a lot of fun last week. I w walked into two shops and uh, somebody was waiting for me when I got there. Now that that was, I thought creepy until they bought a box. Then I'm then I <laughs> started out in the industry at a time where, you know, social media didn't exist. And to market your cigar brand, you were doing something complete. I mean, you were having to run an ad in, you know, one of the two cigar magazines out there, or or right. doing that. So. But now we're in completely different times. I mean, the whole thing is, has changed. So how are you marketing, you know, you know, building up the brand awareness in modern yes. times? Yes. So it, nothing's really changed from the old days. It's just that we have a more uh, fluid platform to do it on. And, and I think that's exciting, too. I wish we had that. You know, back, you know, it's like when I was bartending, we used to say that BevNaps was Facebook. You came in to see me as a bartender, and I know you were done. You're, you know, in your tourist, and you're moving around. I'd write down the next bar and the next place to go. You know, which now you can do on social media, and go tell them I said hi. They'll buy a drink. You know, those things. Uh, we did threads. It was hard to be in sales to be active with threads. John Huber had that mastered, like you you wouldn't believe. And I, you know, threads were these old uh, type of links that would almost be, you know, I guess like Instagram with no pictures or, or Facebook with no pictures and no politics. Um, well, that's not true. There was politics. There, a couple times it came in. This is what they're saying about us right now. Um, so yeah, that's, yeah, I think social media is such a great venue. I think face to face, getting out there, telling the story. Um, I, I try to spend as much time in the stores as I can telling the story. So I try to make sure I have enough time for that the first run and you're bringing me in you know wait for your shift i'm like i'm wanting to schedule enough time to get back in on my next loop to come in and, and spend time with the staff and the people um about that because you're only as good as your last visit i don't care what your cigar well there's a couple we know that you know that, that sell on their own but um yeah you're only as good as your last visit your last story or the last time somebody smoked your cigar so and the competition out there is uh is so strong uh, a lot of great people coming up with innovative ideas and innovative things. And, you know, that's where I think, I don't know if we're differentiating ourselves with the fact that we want to be clean, crisp, basic. I want to be a horse in your stable, something that you always, well, I got to get one of those. I got to get one of those. Uh, and, and, you know, we're getting some people along the way that I've, I've met. There's this guy, Will up, up in Delaware. He's, he's been a, a, a great fan of ours and 
just love to have him on as a, as an ambassador and advocate for us. Um, but that's it, you know, just keep building it and just stay out there and stay in front of the people, which I love to do. Matter of fact, when I talked to Rocky about utilizing his factory, his tobaccos, he wanted to know, I, I'm like, this is not a special project. This is going to be a brand. I'm going to be a brand owner. And he goes, I wouldn't make this arrangement with anybody else except for you because I saw the way you grinded it before. And so, and doing the same model. My wife's completely supportive of it. My kids are. They're, they're glad to see me happy, and they think it's really cool that their dad is back in the cigar industry. So, Yeah, one of your kids, uh, you know, said hello earlier. So they were watching. <laughs> oh. Wait, uh, wait, it was pro hopefully it's Karen because she's 18. So. <laughs> <laughs> but, wow. So... You know, you talked about innovation a minute ago, and that's always, I think, a tricky question for the cigar industry because it's like, how right. how can you be innovative? Because the product is the product. Like, <laughs> there's no special, for, for most right. cigars, there's nothing, you know, special about it that makes it innovative as, say, like a, um, you know, an iPhone. You know, it can be innovative by adding right. new features to it. You know, a TV can be we went from basic two TVs back in the 90s to now we have these fancy TVs that can connect to the internet and have all the apps. So, right. you know, how, in your opinion and your insight, like how can companies be innovative now in the cigar industry in particular? Like, how do you be, it's, like, how can you be creative? Yeah, so I think one of the, re so consumers, I think, might have brand fatigue. And I think sometimes they might have brand fatigue within an owner's brand lineup. I think the being innovative is, is back to basics. Get out there and listen to your consumer. And people are doing a great job of that, you know, with, look at Alan Rubin with, with his sons getting out there in the field and listening. Um, you know, kids aren't, you know, having kids aren't innovative, but you know, if they take that to the next level, Tim Osner took, Tim and Eileen took CIO to the next level. Jono did a great job of, of, of building that company and that brand. He took it to the next level. I, I think that, you know, what Rocky has done over the years and, and his family with Nish and Nimish and, uh, well, you know, more Nish than Nimish. Um, sorry, Nimish. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, with those things and just listening, constantly seeing the wear and the subtle changes. You know, when I was at Davidoff, there was no way they were going to make a Maduro at the time. And Ashton was absolutely unequivocally crushing it out there with uh, the, you know, the Ashton Maduro. And you know, they've now become very innovative with their batches. And, you know, some of them got them some, a little bit of hot water and some not. But, you know, that's, uh, that's out there listening and listening to your reps and listening to the people that are representing your company. Uh, they will because there, there's going to be subtle changes. And then it looks like a big change over time, but it's not. Uh, somebody was talking about, I was listening to a podcast, and they said, I remember when the double Lajero was like the fullest bodied cigar out there. I remember it too. I mean, now look with some of the stuff that people are putting in the cigars these days. So, um, yeah, I think innovation sometimes is just go back to basics. I think this is a time where everybody can reset and, and have a time to look at their brands. I think a lot of brand owners and manufacturers had a chance during COVID to take a look because a lot of retailers did okay during this. They, they really did. They found a way to navigate it. And that's the beauty of this industry is when retailers and the, the industry people out there, the giants in the middle and the smaller guys can go out there and, and find a way to still connect with the consumer.
I mean, in my backyard, we just got started, um, you know, with like Wooden Indian uh, in Havertown, I was, I refused to go direct to the consumer. So I, you know, I called uh, Dan Wood and Todd. I said, well, what do you need from a credit card information? Give it to me. So I got the credit card information from my buddies. I would deliver the cigars to my buddies and run the credit card through them. Um, you know what I mean? And, and then invoice them later. At one point, Dave's like, what are you going to invoice me? I'm like, I'm not going to invoice you every other day. Let, let's get a week of these things done. It, you know, so those are the things that you have to do. It was for me not to go insane because I was chopping out the bit to get out there and see my old friends. I just got back from the factories at the end of February. Uh, excited for this big press release we were going to do on my favorite saint, St. Patty's Day, March 17th. You guys were kind enough to put uh, like a press release together for me. You guys formulated one and, and thank you for getting some information out there. But after that, we decided just to settle down and then, you know, we're going to release some more information here on November 1st where we've been, what the update is. So, you know, those things. So from an innovation standpoint, I think it's just keep listening to the consumers and what they want. And I think there's going to be some changes um, that we're going to see from this. It's going to change. And uh, I just love the fact that the industry is, is taking this chance and, uh, and doing this and, and staying stoic and, and, and strong through this. To, to, to be innovative is just to listen sometimes and react correctly. And how much of it do you think is comes down to being reachable or accessible? Because I know, there are some brands when they use social media, I think they do a really good job at, you know, you're speaking to the brand owner. You're not speaking to a, a you know, middle person and you can reach the brand owner. You can ask them questions. And then there are some brands that are completely the opposite. <laughs> you know, you're, you have to go through, it's almost right. like a video game. You have to go through the levels to reach the top person. And then you don't get the answer that you really thought or you really wanted. So, how important is it to be as a brand owner reachable and accessible to your consumers and customers? Oh, it, it, it is until like some creepy Russian girl creeps into your DM from like, <laughs> you know, Hey, I'm 21 and whatever. And I'm like, what, how's this happening? Uh, yeah, I, I think it, it's, uh, it, it's, it, it's totally, you need to do that. I mean, if, if you look at somebody that does so much, like the Boofy, we're big. I'm a big fan of Boof. You know, here's a guy that's doing his jewelry, he's doing his cigars. He's he's totally is like the most colorful guy on social media with the way he posts things, and will react. You know, and and, and say something. I think that's I think that it's important. And you know, what Shammy's doing with with the, the cross marketing, he's doing some other stuff. I think that would also be respective to like the, there's people and personalities in the company. Like if you look at Crown Heads, I mean. You, you got John Huber, right? Mike Condon, I think he's on a boat somewhere, but uh, Brian McGee and Miguel Chaudel. I mean, those are some great, strong personalities that are representative of the brand. When I was at CAO, John's idea was to celebritize all the reps. You know, mm -hmm. Alec Bradley did that at one point. Uh, obviously, Jonathan Drew with Frankie Drinks and all these, you know, Matty Rock and all these great, fun personalities. I think those people can also represent the company well, and they have their own micro connection with that. So, yeah, I think the brand owner is uh, absolutely important, or founder is absolutely important. But you know, when you have other people in the organization, yeah, th those are they can be just as effective and, and good for the consumer as well, because not every consumer is going to connect with a brand owner, but they might connect with that cigar and somebody that's a part of that team. 
Awesome. You know, where do you so, see yourself taking taking your brand? I know like 2020 seems to be a weird year for all of us because marketing plans have been put on hold and things that we thought were going to happen obviously are not happening at this point. So I guess what does 2021 kind of look for you or even 2022 at this point? <laughs> Well, I, I will tell you that 2020 was our best sales year ever. Uh, I think we did $4,300 at the end of <laughs> end of uh, December, and I think that was <laughs> I think that was when Indians in, invoice. Uh, no, just joking. Uh, I think, uh, yeah, for 2021, yeah, our trajectory. So I like to look at trajectories. You know, you get a fun way. I was kind of a numbers guy, anyways, from college. Always thought I was going to be in the numbers, and then obviously when you work. You know the mutual fund business, uh, or it was more specifically retirement plans. Those are numbers on top of numbers. I, I think trajectory is the right number, and so we're growing every month with the right people, with the right retailers, and the right numbers. So our sales are growing too. So this is our best month yet of the year. Uh, but that's also like being the world's tallest midget. You know, uh, so it's you know, uh, it, it's all it, it all has to be put in perspective. But we're very happy and giddy with the growth. So. It, it's funny. I was talking to my partner, and he goes, "Wow, this is so, this is great." And I go, "No, no, no." He goes, "What? Well, it's your, your our best sales month and our best sales last week." And I go, "My best week. I sold two hundred fifty thousand dollars in one week when I was at Davidoff. You know, so that was and that was a non trade show sale because you write you write a lot of your stuff at a trade show. Um, but yeah, so we're we're very excited. We're patient, so we understand that we might have another spike that might might make." the situation is skittish out there. But when we made this commitment, one of the things when I said, I'm going to do this full time, we had to be prepared for these hiccups. We didn't know these hiccups were going to come so early. And, <laughs> right. Uh, um, but uh, yeah, so yeah, we're, we're, we couldn't be happier. And we want to bring things off the market when they're ready and, uh, and the consumer wants them. So it's, um, yeah, it, it's a juggling act. It, right now it's just out there and getting the right shelf space. And as somebody who's been involved in the industry for a while, like you have, I mean, when you look at the industry, where it was when you, you know, started to where it could be, like, what are your predictions? I know with the FDA stuff, it seems to have, you know, we, we hit mountains and <laughs> the, the mountaintops and then we kind of settle down and it's not as bad. I mean, what do you, like, if you had to put on your little magic ball and, and kind of predict things that might happen, what do you kind of predict? as maybe the future of the industry? Yeah, so I, I think the industry is going to be here. That's for sure. What, what it's going to look like, I don't have that crystal ball. But I got to tell you, it's going to take more than some of these greats out there have done what they've been doing for this industry. And think, you know, and I, you can't think enough of these people that are out there, like Glenn Loop, who I, I guess is stepping aside from that one particular role. Uh, Rocky, Jeff Borshowitz, uh, um uh, and other people out there that have been so stoic and fighting for the industry. Take all the politics aside. I'm just right. sticking to you. Know, you there's a, a kerfuffle last week, and you know, stay with that. <laughs> but, um, and w what they've done to you know Alan Rubin, uh, you know Carlito, and all these people, what they've done. Uh, we need more of those. You know, it's it's like anything. It's like that's not enough. But um, if we can keep that energy going um yeah you know you visit some people and they're they're very down and out about it you know they put their life into it their second and third generation the second and third generation has taken that retail store to the next level or that, those concepts to the next level 
they're a little scared. Yeah, because, you know, you get punched for so long. You know, it's like at our different ages, like we just had a recession, what, 10 years ago or 12 years ago. Uh, and we don't, some of us, not might, we might the one that was 20 years before that. So, but when you've been in the business for a while, you, you keep getting punched, you keep getting punched. The black eyes are going to start to hurt. So you could see some people just getting, um, you know, damaged a little bit. So, but I, I think we're going to be there. I, if, I would not have put my family's future <laughs> on it if I didn't believe so. I mean, everybody's like, you are an idiot. Why? You got out, Mickey. You got out. Why are you back? And I'm like, I can't do it anymore. <clears throat> if I'm going to grind 12 and 14 hours a day and I'm going to have headaches, I'm going to do it with a cigar in my mouth. Not chewing on a pen, tapping a calculator, you know. Um, so that, you know, so I do believe in it. Yeah, absolutely. How we're going to get there? Uh, go and ahead, and do you think there's a place for the the big guys and the little guys in this industry, or do you think there's going to be some consolidation at some point where, you know, you well, don't see as many of the little guys? Well, I think I think that's always going to happen in every industry. Look at banks. They, you know, they said a bank, a small bank, you know, there's no more small banks. And then I just saw a couple of banks get gobbled up in my territory where I live up on the outside of Philadelphia. Uh, there's regional banks. Too. So, yeah, is that is that going to happen? Um, you know, yeah, you know, but the you need both. It, it, it's part of the ecosystem of any business model. And, you know, in, in the state of trade that we have in the United States and most parts of Europe and the parts of the world that do sell cigars or other have other kind of commodity goods in that sense. So yeah, we need it for the balance of economics. Um, but it's going to happen, you know? So, uh, you know, my thing is if I'm going to do something until I'm whatever, six feet under, I got to do this. This is, this is what, you know, and I loved it so much. And it was so sad when I stepped away and maybe there was a reason I needed to step away for a couple of years. Maybe, able to put the resources together, spend a little bit. I still travel to that job, spend some more time with my, with my girls. So fun to watch Tierney and Kylie Rowe. And, uh, and I just love it. And watching my youngest who we're scared of, she's six foot, uh, and just, uh, she's ferocious. She's a basketball player in lacrosse and field hockey. My other two gave up all those other sports strictly to row. So it's exciting to see how they're, they're growing. Um, so they're, they're soon to be off to college. And uh, so it's just more reasons that I'll have to change my sales route plans, you know, to wherever they're going to end up in school. I know Wani does that. Wani will tell me he's in D.C. because his daughter uh, went to my alma mater and uh, or still I, I think she's still there, got one more year. So and I'm like, oh, you're going to be in D.C. Yeah. So. Yeah. But, so as a little final sales pitch to people who haven't tried your cigar this yet. You know, right? What do you have to say to them? Like, why should they give your cigar a try? Well, first and foremost, I would say, um, go go to your retailer and go to your retailer and embrace them. And it's like, again, like every part of our industry catalogs all the all play an important role. Is go to your retailer, ask for the cigar, but more importantly, support them and get in there and get a cigar you like and ask questions. That cigar right there is a is a medium body. I like to say just left a medium. It's got a San Andres wrapper on it with Nicaraguan uh, filler and binder. Um, it's got some jalapa in there. I like the sweet stuff. 
So it, it, it's uh, kind of funny. Uh, Mika goes, Mickey, how come every time you come down here, you want to pile a jalapa in front of you? And I just laugh. And it's like my wife says, you know, honey, there's other colors besides red and blue. And I go, what, khaki or forest green? You know, so, um, yeah, it, it's a great scar. We love it. We're very proud of it. And we're here to stay. So it's not, uh, it's not a special or a limited edition. It's something that's our first go to market. It's in roughly the, the blended retail cost is $10. So uh, understand that every state's different with the state taxes. So please somebody don't text me and tell me it's, it's $14 somewhere. I, I know where it's $14. Um, the, you know, the, yell at your legislators. Um, so yeah, it's, um, and, I, and I think we have some more unique things coming out there. We're really proud of this blend. And uh, I think you'll enjoy it. So it, it's something you can comfortably enjoy with your, with your, with your friends as well. So what are all the social media accounts people need to follow to keep up with All Saints? And what are the websites? How can people keep in touch? Yeah, so everything is the same. So the website's uh, allsaintscigars.com, S in the Saints and S in cigars.com, and at All Saints Cigars on Facebook and all Saint, at All Saints Cigars on uh, Instagram and on Twitter. Though we haven't been tweeting that much, the Facebook, the, the facelift, we were getting, we're getting ready to do some videos and a photo shoot uh, to tell the story a little bit clearly, because yeah, I'm a visual guy too, as well. And uh, so those things will be all up to speed. We're, we're, we should have somebody in locked in February, because I'm, I'm the cameraman, you know, I'm, I'm doing all these things. And, uh, and thanks for your tips earlier. So. I know you were at the uh -huh. Adobe concert, uh, or concert. The Adobe, the, Adobe. The, the, the conference, yeah. The conference, It was really yeah. helpful. I always like, you know, I took, for me, I took COVID as a time to learn more stuff right. that I could without, since I was able to cut my commute out for a, while, a bit, um, to just take some time to just to learn a little bit more. So I think there's always room to learn. And I wasn't doing this kind of stuff before COVID. And to be honest, if COVID right. hadn't, you know, been here i probably wouldn't be doing this stuff but now you're right, right. you're interview 49 this year so you know that i'm counting oh, not thanks. The, you know not the, the even the magazine stuff that doesn't make it onto these kind of things so um it's been fun it's been fun to get to know people and getting to have an hour because i tell people like in a trade show experience you know when we're at ipspr or tpe right. um we don't always get an hour you know with one person you you kind of see them along right. the trade show floor, you say what you got to say, and you, you have your whole list of people you need to see in meetings. So these have been helpful right. to get to know, to spend this year basically now, um, just getting to know people and getting to talk to them so that hopefully when we see our, each other on the road next year at TPE or PCA and all the other events that might happen <laughs> um, right. pending COVID, then we'll have a little bit more to talk about. Well, I look forward to it. Thank you for all your help earlier this year and, uh, and all the helpful tips yesterday about some of the other things that we're working on and with uh, your whole umbrella of a team over there that you have. And uh, yeah. I, I really appreciate it. I look forward to catching up with you next week too as well. So, Yeah, likewise. Well, I want to thank you for coming on and uh, hope your event goes well today. And Yeah, um, thank you. You know, and like I said, we look forward to kind of following up and kind of getting some more stories out on you and All Saints and what you all have going on. Perfect. I love it. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Pax. <laughs> Bye.